If you got your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of John, the 20th chapter. John, the 20th chapter. Uh, and we'll start with the, with the first verse. Easter Sunday, when you look at Easter, you think about the resurrection. You think about a man who was killed, and then he came back to life. That goes against everything that we ever think about and everything that we think about in life because when someone dies, we believe that that's permanent and that you don't see them come back to life. And I remember a number of years ago, in this early service, I said 20, and I realized it was really 30 years ago, that uh, my, uh, my mom called us, and she said that she and my dad had been talking about where they wanted their burial plots to be and where they wanted the family burial plots to be. And so there's this huge discussion that she had, and she finally had worked out the answer, and so she wanted to share it with us. And she said, Danny, I just want to let you know that we have bought burial plots for all of the family, and it will be in Auburn, Alabama. And so I'm going to give you three reasons why. She says, first of all, she says, that's where I grew up. I said, okay. She says, second reason is, is because that's where I met your father. I said, okay. And the third reason is, she says, because when I die, I know that you'll visit my grave at least seven times a year. And uh, with most of those being in the fall. So, uh, so mom was wanting to make sure that everything was taken care of. And so a part of that search process was you were supposed to search for grave plots and you know, not once did someone try to sell her a used grave plot. Never once was there one where they said, well, the guy used to be here, but now he's gone. It never happened. When she tried to figure out what kind of tombstone to come up with, they said, well, now on the tombstone, you've got a couple of dates. You've got a born and a die, but there's never been a tombstone that we've chiseled out that says, born, died, back again. None of those. And so when we talk about resurrection, that is something that is so foreign from anything that we could think of. But I want you to know this, that in the first century, with the closest followers to Jesus Christ, his resurrecting from the dead was about the furthest thing from their mind also. They had no concept that when he died, that he would come back again. These closest followers, who for about three years had been following him, they were the ones that saw him when he was arrested. And then they saw him when he was taken, and it says that he was beaten. And then they saw him when they took him up, and they took him to a a hill called Golgotha, and there he was crucified. And there they saw him hang between heaven and earth for six hours as the life was slowly going out of him and as his blood was being shed. And then they also experienced the fact that six hours after he had been crucified and that he had died, they took his, his body was taken down. And then when his body was taken down, it was prepared for burial. And to prepare a body for burial, it meant that, that they would take these linen cloths and they would wrap the body. And then they would take spices that were like a gummy preservative that you would put between the folds. And so with these, you wrap the body and you wrap it from the feet all the way up till about the neck. And then from the neck to the top of the head, you would leave open. And then on the top of the head, there would be something, they've called it even kind of like a napkin or some type of, of, of small wrapping that would go on top of the head. And so they saw as that body was prepared and then that body was lifted and was taken into a tomb. And the tomb was, uh, was, was something that was hewn out of a stone and out of a mountain. And as it was cut out of that mountain, you had a place where you could go and lay a body. And then once the body was laid, then they saw where this big stone was rolled in front of the entryway. 
And since there was talk about this Jesus claiming to be the king of the Jews or the Messiah, there was a bunch of worry that maybe someone would come and try to steal the body. So they put a seal of Rome across that uh, entryway. And with that seal, it meant that if anybody broke the seal, that they would be killed uh, by the Roman government. So then they also put a group of soldiers to be there in front of the tomb to protect it. And so that was it. That's what the followers of Christ saw. These were the men and even the women that followed him for those years. This was the last thing they saw of him. They saw him beaten, they saw him crucified, they saw him dead, and then they saw him buried, and they saw the stone rolled over in front of the tomb. They were in disbelief, they were hurt, they were confused, they were disillusioned, and they were defeated. He was the Son of God, we thought. He was the Messiah, we thought. And now he's dead. And that's Friday. And that's also Saturday. And to get a little bit of an understanding of, of how deep that wound and that hurt is, is that when you look in the New Testament and it has some of the conversations they have with Jesus, they're very bold in what they're stating about him. And he's very bold in the claims that he is making. There was a time when Jesus did this miracle where he fed 5,000 people. And after he fed 5,000, the next day, all the people came back. They love that miracle. They want to see another one. And when they came back, he began to teach really tough stuff. And when he did, a lot of people turned away. And he looked at those 12 disciples and he asked them the same question. Do you guys want to turn back also? And here was their answer. They said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. There was another time that that Jesus put his disciples together and he said, hey, there's a lot of talk about me. Who do people say that I am? Someone said, hey, they think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Someone else thinks you're one of the old prophets that's come back to life. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, only the Father in heaven could have revealed that to you. Later on in his ministry, one of his good friends, Lazarus, died, and, and he'd been in the grave for about four days, and Jesus shows up, and when he shows up, Lazarus' sister, Martha, comes to Jesus and says, man, if you had been here earlier, you could have healed him of his sickness. And Jesus said to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looked at her and he says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. The disciples, we believe you're the Christ, the son of God. The other followers looking at him, we believe you're Christ, the son of God. And these men who were pouring their lives into following him had given up careers to be able to follow this itinerant preacher. Peter and James and John and Andrew, those guys, you know what they did? They gave up their fishing career. They said they left their nets and they followed him. Matthew had a great career as a tax collector. And so he threw away that salary, threw away that career, and he said, I will follow you. 
And so all these people, they've hitched their wagon to this man by the name of Jesus, even when their friends are probably saying, you're crazy to do this, you're crazy to do this. No, we're with him. We hear his teachings. We believe he is the Son of God. And this is the Messiah that the old writers in the Old Testament have been talking about. We're excited. This is where we're going. And all of that's cruising good until Friday and Saturday. And these people who have hitched their wagon to this man, are now standing there in complete defeat and disillusionment. What are we going to do? And, and they sit there and they gather together and they said, you know, everything just seems so right, but now everything is so wrong. Where do we go from here? How did we get off track? How did we miss it? How, how, how did we not see <clears throat> that this just was not what we thought it was? And so in the midst of all of this, on Friday and on Saturday, you then come to Sunday. And that's where you've got in your Bibles, John chapter 20, and look at the first verse. On John chapter 20, look at the first verse. He says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. That would be on Sunday. So on Friday... After he was buried and they rolled the stone over there, if you walked through that garden anytime on Friday, you saw that big rock in front of the tomb. And if on Saturday, if you were walking through that garden, you would have also seen that rock right in front of that tomb. But now it's on Sunday morning. And it says she came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So now her first thought is, tomb's empty. She peeks in there. There's no one in there. So she runs and talks to the disciples. She said, somebody stole the body. Somebody stole the body. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. The other disciple is John. That's who's writing this. Verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Just a side note that John wanted you to remember that he's a faster runner than Peter. So I let him know that I outran Peter and I beat him right there. These guys are so competitive, okay? So he gets there. However, he says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Hey, but then Peter, he may be slow running, but he's quick going in. It says, then Simon Peter came and following him, he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in, he saw and believed for as yet They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then they went back to their homes. Look at, look at what took place. They stooped, they went in there and it says, John stooped in and he saw, and what he saw, that word saw was more glanced. He just sort of glanced in. He saw the linen cloth lying there. Remember when I told you about how they wrapped the body? Well, they wrapped the body. And if you look at the verb form here, where it talks about that those cloths were just lying there. It's a picture of the claws were undisturbed. It was just like they were wrapped around a body, but it's like the body just evaporated, just right out, and then the claws just collapsed. So they were still wrapped, but there was no body in there. They just collapsed. 
And then it talked about that, uh, that the part that was on his, on his head, that it had been, had moved. Uh, there's two different ways of looking at it. One is it was separated from the linen cloths. Remember, they only, they only wrapped you up to here, and then you had this space. So if a body was laying down, there would naturally be a space between the claws and the hat, the little things on your head. The second interpretation is that it was taken off and just folded neatly and put over to the side. Either way, what it communicates is that there was a very orderly scene there in the tomb. It was not that somebody or some bodies had come and stolen this body. That would have been impossible. They would have had to unwrap the entire body and then somehow try to wrap something back up to make it look like that the body had just evaporated from there. So they knew that was impossible. In fact, it was so impossible that it says that when John really did see it, where he intensely gazed at it, he said he believed. At that moment, he believed in the resurrection. He says, this has really happened. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So they left, and as they left, Mary Magdalene stayed. And as she stayed, all of a sudden she hears a voice, and she turns and she thinks it's a gardener, but then as he talks, she realizes it's Jesus himself, and he reveals himself to her. And he says, hey, I'm going to tell the disciples I'm going to get with them. And sure enough, that night, he appears before the disciples. And then the Bible says that over the next 40 days, that he appeared to over 500 people. And so, all of a sudden, this tomb that was empty, or this tomb that was full, and with the rock that was in front of it on Friday and Saturday, on Sunday... All of a sudden, the tomb is open and the tomb is empty. And it, it changes everything. These people's lives were changed immediately once they understood that the tomb was empty and that Jesus has risen. Now, <clears throat> we've looked at images of salvation. And for you today, here on this Easter Sunday, whenever you think of Easter, you usually think of we've got an empty tomb. What I want to do, I want to give you three statements that whenever you look and see an empty tomb, I want you to keep these three things in mind. Are you ready? Here's the number one. Number one, the resurrection and the empty tomb validate Jesus' claim as the Son of God and the way to God. You got that? It validates Jesus' claim as the Son of God and the way to God. When you go back through Scripture, oftentimes Jesus has said, I will die. This body will be destroyed, but then I'll be raised again in three days. And he kept telling them, this is going to happen. And he says that God the Father will raise me because I am the Son. And he says, I will die. I'll be buried. I will raise again from the dead. So it validates his claim as the Son of God, and it also validates his claim when he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so every claim that Jesus had made was validated by the resurrection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about this. Paul writes and he says, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we're still dead in our sins and that all this that we're doing is for vain and is for naught. And if the tomb is not empty, folks, then what we're doing here is we're just wasting our time. Because see, if the tomb is not empty, that means that Jesus is still dead. And if Jesus is still dead, that means he's not the son of God and that he's not provided that pathway to get to God. 
But the second image, when you look at the image of this empty tomb that you need to keep in mind is that the resurrection and the empty tomb provide eternal victory over sin and death. They provide eternal victory over sin and death. Man, don't miss this. I mean, all of us have sinned and it's caused this division between us and God. And because we've got this division between us and God, there's always this, this challenge as to how do you get into a relationship with God? And so what God did was he took the initiative and he sent his son Jesus to come on the earth. And Jesus lived this perfect life. And, and when he lived this perfect life, he became that perfect sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus took on all of our sins and he went to the cross. And we talked about, even in the, in the, uh, during the welcome time, about at the cross, it's a beautiful picture of the love of God, that he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. But the reason he did this is because of the holiness of God. And that is that God is a holy God and God, God cannot God, take imperfection and sin to, to come into his presence. And so for us to feel like that one day we can spend eternity in heaven, somebody's got to pay that penalty for our sin. Someone's got to provide that pathway for us to get to God. And what Jesus did was he went to that cross and he died. And when he went to the cross and he died, it says he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sins. For eternity. And so he's providing that eternal victory over sin and death. And I love the word victory there. Because, see, for Satan, whenever someone sins, the Bible says that the payment of that is death. And it's kind of like Satan's trump card. And so he throws down death and, and he takes the Son of God. And in the, and the, the world, all the sins are placed on the Son of God who was perfect. And, but he says, I'll take the penalty of the sin. And, and Satan says, okay, boom, there's death. And he throws that trump card down and he's in the tomb. And then God comes back and he says, I can over-trump your trump. And he says, I'm going to pull him and bring him out of death. And he brings Jesus out of death. He says he has victory over sin and victory over death. Now, once he got victory over death, when we begin to look at our life and say, you know, I've got only so many years that I will live and one day I will die and I'll step into eternity. Where will you spend eternity? Well, what you'd like to do is to know who is it that has conquered death. And the only person that's done that is Jesus Christ himself. And that is why if I can put my trust and my faith in Christ, once I do that, then it means that I can spend eternity with God in heaven. Because he is the one that's provided victory. Victory over sin, victory over death. And that's why Easter is such an exciting time. And that's why when we look and we say the tomb is empty, it is because Jesus has risen from the dead and we have victory over sin, and we have victory over death. You know, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, and um, there are times that because I've been a Christian that long that I will look and see things that will, um, I don't know, they can just kind of get rote to you and uh, just get uh, almost too accustomed to it. And I'll know that when I'll look at an image of the empty tomb, the first thing I will see is I think about salvation, on there. And that's great. That's a wonderful thing to see. But then I will oftentimes forget that that resurrection power that I can claim that will take me to heaven one day when I die is a power that is available for me every day. 
And that when you look at the empty tomb, yes, this is great for the by and by, but what about for the here and now? What does that do for me in the here and now? And what does that do for you? As you've come in on this Easter Sunday and you're part of this service and, and you hear and you, and you hear this message and you say, okay, I'm, I'm hearing about the resurrection. And many times I, you've heard this message before of that Christ has risen from the dead. But what does that do for you right now? What did it do for those disciples right then? They were in despair. They were disillusioned. They were defeated. But the empty tomb gave them hope. And that's the third point. It'll give hope in the midst of despair, disillusionment, and defeat. It will give you hope in the midst of despair, disillusionment, and defeat. You can't really get much lower than they were. And yet when the empty tomb was a reality, it changed their life. You see, Christ's resurrection not only gives you hope for the future, but it gives you hope to handle your scars right now. And for those followers of Christ, it changed the way they lived their life right then. And for all those that followed him when you read the New Testament, it changed their life right then. And for you and for me today, it will give us hope in the midst of despair, disillusionment, and defeat. Now, I don't know where you are today, but there are different people uh, with different situations sitting all over this worship center. For some of you, you've experienced a death. Not the death of a family member, but the death of a dream or a vision. There's something that you always saw that you were going to do in life, and yet that didn't happen. And you've experienced that death of the dream. I want to let you know that the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, is the same God who raised his son from the dead is the same God that can help you to redream that dream or to give you a new vision and a new purpose in life. Because there's setbacks that come in our lives. And when we don't know exactly where we're going to go or what the next step is, what we do is we look and we see the empty tomb. And when we see the empty tomb, we say, there is hope. Because the same God that raised his son from the dead is the same God that cares for you and me and can help us to redream that dream and can help us to have that vision that not only you desire, but God has created you for. There's some of you that could be here today that uh, you said, you know, my marriage is dying. In fact, if we did a medical report, it would be on life support. And uh, one of the spouses has come just to placate the other spouse. And so he said, hey, we're going to slide in and we're going to come to, to come to this service. But we don't see any hope in our marriage. I want you to see this. The tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty. The same God that raised his son from the dead is the same God that can radically change your life and can radically change your spouse's life. And it can provide you the strength to be able to forgive each other. And amazingly, it can be able to give you the power to remove all bitterness so that that marriage relationship can be saved. Don't sit there and say, well, there's just no hope for us. There is hope because the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, he can take a marriage that's on life support and that's on those, it looks like on our last leg and bring strength and stability to that relationship. The reason is, is because the tomb is empty. There's some of you here that have got the despair of failing health. I just want to tell you the tomb is empty. 
And the same God who raised his son from the dead is the same God that can bring healing to your body or else he can give you strength to travel those last miles along this life and then usher you in to an assurance of heaven. And so even in the despair of failing health, the resurrection power can help you make it through that time. It's because the tomb is empty. For some of you, there's a disillusionment. And you've got a disillusionment, the things of this world of money and houses and cars and power, that that's what brings you satisfaction and, and the joy that you should have in life. You've got the former, but you don't have the latter. You got all the goods, you got all the stuff, but yes, when you put your arm around all the stuff and when you just take a few moments to look at your life, there's no joy there and there's no satisfaction. The empty tomb serves as a reminder that the earthly stuff is just stuff and that you were created for eternity to serve the one true God who is revealed in the Bible. And when you realize that the tomb is empty, you realize that there is more to life than just these things over here, but that I realize that there is a God and a God who cares for me so much that not only did his son die on a cross, but he reached down and pulled him out of death and he gave victory over sin and over death. And that must be a whole lot more important than just the stuff that I've got over here. And then what God can do is he can come into your life and he can energize your life and change your perspective. And he will tell you, he'll show you that you've got the stuff, but then he can show you how to keep that stuff in priority. And he can give you joy and a satisfaction. The reason he can do this is because the tomb is empty. And that gives you hope, even in the midst of all the disillusionment that you have there. For some of you, you've got the death of financial security. Either life situations or your investments have gone bad and they've shaken the foundation of your financial plans and your financial stability. I just want to tell you this. The tomb is empty, which means there is hope. In Philippians 4.19, it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that God is your banker that's going to give you money for all your needs. But what it does say is that if you will trust him, he will supply all your needs. You trust him, he will supply all your needs, and he'll do it in various different ways. But if you're putting all of your hope in financial stability, and now all of a sudden the legs have been kicked out from under you, and you're saying, where do I go, what do I do? I just got good news for you, the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, that glorious, wonderful God says that I can take care and supply your every need. The tomb is empty. And God is alive and well. For some of you, you've got a life of really despair and defeat. I had that tear off and I said, just write one word for your life. Some of you would write despair. Some of you would would write defeat. Well, I've got good news for you. The tomb is empty. And one of the most paralyzing mistakes that we make is thinking that our problems somehow disqualify us from serving God. I'm reading a book by Mark Batterson, uh, and it's called The Lion in the Pit on a Snowy Day. And he makes a statement in there that just, just resonated with me. And he says this, God is in the business of recycling our pain and using it for someone else's gain. Now look at that. God is in the business of recycling our pain and using it for someone else's gain. You see, if you've got a life of, of defeat and despair, of things that have happened in your life that you don't feel good about, that you're crushed about, 
God wants to redeem that adversity that you've experienced, and he wants to recycle that adversity and turn it into ministry. That means if you go through a painful divorce or the death of a child or a destructive addiction, God can help you to climb out of that pit so you can help other people in similar circumstances. There are people that I will cross paths with and people that will walk in the doors of this church that will look me in the eye and say, you have no idea what I've done in my life. You have no idea the pit of hell that I'm living in and there's nothing that God can do for me and there's no way that God can use me. And that's just wrong. You know why? Because the tomb is empty. Because that tomb is empty, God can resurrect his son. I guarantee he can resurrect your life. And God loved his son, and he loved his son, and he loved you so much, and that's why his son died is for you. So don't give me this thing about, well, there's no hope for me, because God loves you that much that he will reach down and will pull you out of defeat and pull you out of despair. And I love what Boy Batterson is saying. He says that God is in the business of recycling our pain and using it for someone else's gain. And what that means is that you've done things. You've walked through some difficult times. And, and whether it, it was a divorce and then all of a sudden you've gotten back and you've gotten right with God and there's a redemption that has taken place. When there's someone else that's walking through that time of pain, God can take your experience and you can help somebody as they try to walk through those difficult times. When someone's had the death of a family member, especially a death of a child, having walked with people through that, the people that bring the greatest comfort is not so much myself, I'll do the best that I can to be used by God, but it's the people who've also experienced the death of a child in which they've walked through those difficult times and yet God has shown them a way to make it through it. They then come along and they use that adversity they experienced and they recycle that pain for gain and they help this couple as they walk through there. It happens in all areas of life, whether it's a financial collapse, whether it's the death of a loved one, uh, whether it's a career transition, uh, whether it's an addiction, any of these things. When you see people that have walked through these things and now have come into a strong walk with God, God will take that and will reshape that life and use that to be able to help others as they walk down that path. And the reason that happens is because the tomb is empty. That is why we cannot sit there and say, well, I've, I've, done, I've done the one wrong thing that God will never use me. No, God can always use you. God will always embrace you and bring you into his family. We repent of our sins, ask for forgiveness, come into a right relationship with him. He can take you and take that life and set you up towards a purpose, the purpose that he's called you for. And the reason we do that is because the tomb is empty. And too often we see the tomb is empty and say, okay, I'm going to hitch my wagon to that because I know I can have eternal life. That's fine. You accept Christ as Savior. But as you walk through your life and you make mistakes and difficulties come and adversities come along the way, that same God that liked you that saved you is the same God that's going to help you through that time and take even some of that pain and use it to help others to walk through their life. You see, the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, he will guide us through all of those times of despair and disillusionment and defeat. Because the tomb is empty, we can have new life. We can have new life. And that's the great joy about it. And that's why we rejoice so much at Easter. Because every time you look and say, The tomb is empty, I know my Savior lives. And know that God has a purpose and a plan for my life.
I love the story I read uh, a long time ago, and uh, it's uh, a story from the uh, All Saints Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the pastor uh, is uh, Harry Pritchett, Jr., and uh, the pastor, uh, Reverend Pritchett, tells a story about one of his favorite members, and it was a young man, a nine-year-old young boy by the name of Philip, and Philip had Down syndrome. And as a nine-year-old, he had some difficulties and some challenges, and so they didn't put him in a Sunday school class with the nine-year-olds. They put him in a Sunday school class with the eight-year-olds. And as he came in, he had some challenges, as you could imagine, and those eight-year-olds were not real merciful, as you can probably also imagine. And so they were constantly sort of picking at him and, 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 and really making life a little difficult for him. But the uh, Sunday school teacher ha- had a project for them, and she was hoping this could help everyone. And it was right after Easter. And so right after Easter, she went and she got an egg similar to this. And, and she got an egg, and she gave it to each one of the children. And she said, with the resurrection, the resurrection shows that, uh, that we've got some new life. We've got something new and fresh. I want you this week to go out and go out into nature, and I want you to find something that shows new life, put it inside your egg, and then bring it back on Sunday. Oh, kids were excited. So the kids went out. They came back the next Sunday. When they came back the next Sunday, everybody took their egg, and they turned it in to the teacher. And the teacher would open up the egg and show them what's in there. And so sure enough, she opened up the first one, and it was a flower. Ooh, ah, kids, ooh, so pretty. Pretty flower showing new life, okay. So then they opened up the next egg, and it was a leaf. Oh, yeah. And, and with this leaf, it showed that there was new life. And, and then one opened it up, and believe it or not, they had a butterfly in there, and this little butterfly flew out, and everybody, woo! All the kids were excited. This is new life. And, and I laughed as I read his recounting of the story because they opened up one of them, and there was a rock in there. <laughs> Give me a break. There's a rock. And he said, what's that for? Kid raised his hand. That's mine. I knew everybody's going to get that little frilly girly stuff, you know, that uh, flower and leaf. So I got a rock. Great. She said, okay, good. New life. Whatever. And so they went through. Everybody had something until they came to the last one. And they came to the last one and they opened it up. And when they opened it up, there was nothing in there. And so the first response of the kids was, hey, that's not fair. They didn't do like they were supposed to. And then all of a sudden, there was a tug at the coat of the teacher. It was Philip, little Down syndrome boy. And Philip looked up and he said, that's mine. And I I did do what you asked me to. And he said, mine is empty because I have new life because the tomb is empty. And they said for some reason that connected with all of those kids And from that point forward, he was really accepted into the group. The difficult news is that the infections and the disease that were attacking him due to the Down syndrome and uh, some of the uh, abilities not to be able to fight off these diseases led to him getting sicker and sicker until that summer he died. And when Philip died, it was the first introduction to death for most of those eight-year-olds. And as they went to the funeral and they came to the funeral... There was an eight-year-old class made up of nine eight-year-olds that came walking into the funeral, but they didn't bring flowers, but each one of them brought an egg, an Easter egg like this, and it was empty. And each one went and placed it on top of the casket to be able to indicate to them that he really does have new life now.
as he is there with the Father in heaven. Listen, Philip had it all correct, and that is the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, we have new life. You have new life. You have new life in Christ. And if you have never entered into a relationship with him, it can happen on Easter Sunday today to where you have new life. For those who are believers and you trust in Christ as your Savior, you need to understand the tomb is still empty. You still have new life. And whatever direction your life has taken, you can come back full center with him because you have new life and because that tomb is empty. Okay? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day and for Easter Sunday and for all that it means. We thank you for the resurrection of the dead and that you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins, but then also, Father, you reached down and you brought him back from death. And because that tomb is empty, you give us new life. And so, Father, we want to pray today that as we come to the close of this service, that you will help us to understand that that new life is available for each one of us. And that as your spirit speaks to our heart, that we'd be able to make the decision that is necessary, a decision that would change eternity. And may we make that today. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.